Every single player who's come to Michigan State since 2007 has a ring on their finger. I'm going to be a coach here for a long time. It's not over. It's just starting. But just remember, pride comes before the fall. So you might as well just come out and say what you're, what's your feeling at some point in time, because you know I can only be diplomatic for so long. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Locked on Spartans. It is Tuesday, September 3rd, 2019. I'm your host, Will Hunter. Thanks so much for joining me for today's episode. Uh, I realized yesterday, like an hour after I published the episode, that I forgot to put the intro on the episode. (laughs) So if you're a new listener, checking the show out for the first time or second time perhaps today. That's usually what the intro is. It's been about a week. I'm still deciding if I want to keep it or not. I might try to find something a little shorter uh, in terms of intro because that one's like 40 seconds, 45 seconds long. So might try to find something a little shorter. shorter. Either way, thanks so much for joining me for today's episode. Uh, got some things that I want to talk about uh, on the show today. I want to talk about uh, some of the changes uh, behind Michigan State's offense, some of the schematic stuff that is uh, pretty easy to, to point out, uh, easy to spot uh, once you kind of go back and chart uh, a game, uh, but it's a little bit different than um, the offense of, of years past, and some of it is harder to see. Uh, and so I do want to talk about that because I think there's been a lot of people talking about, you know, nothing's changed in terms of the scheme. And while uh, there are some spots where that is very true, uh, there are some other areas where that is, it just couldn't be further from the truth. So I do want to talk about that. Uh, After that, I want to talk about Brad Salem and uh, what I thought of his first game as a play caller and uh, just some stats that I think uh, provide a a spot where he could do some improvement uh, in terms of calling more efficient things, doing different things to help the offense be more uh, explosive and efficient, frankly. So I want to talk about that in segment two. And then in segment three, I will finally talk about the defense (laughs) for the first time all week. Uh, A performance like that, I probably should have been talking about them the whole time, but uh, a lot of chatter about the offense. A lot of necessary discussion had to be had about the uh, MSU offense. So going to talk about the defense, specifically about Jacob Panashuk and Antoine Simmons. Uh, the defense as a whole was great, but I really want to focus in on those two guys here today. So that's the plan for today's show. Reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Subscribing is the easiest way to get these episodes to your phone every single day. I do them five days a week. Half an hour shows covering the world of Michigan State Athletics all a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And usually uh, shows go up at about 5 a.m. every single day. So you can subscribe to it, get it for your drive to work uh, every single day, except for Labor Day. I didn't do it yesterday because it was Labor Day, and I felt like it. All right, one last thing here before we get going. I wrote a piece, spartanswire.usatoday.com, that has gotten a lot of uh, good reaction. A lot of people found it really interesting. Uh, You can find it there. Uh, You can find it on my Twitter feed at Will underscore underscore Hunter, 1L2 underscores. And it's just why I think there's reason for optimism. 
about Michigan State, and I go through some different plays. It's a lot of stuff that we talked about yesterday on the show, uh, but I you know, throw some gifts in there and some images and just show why plays went wrong, how it can be fixed. Uh, a lot of things are very correctable. There's a lot of good things that happened in the game that could have been great things, stuff like that. Uh, so check that out if you haven't done so already. All right. Enough wasting time. Let's actually get into the show. Not that I was wasting time. Uh, Let's get into the show and talk about these changes. Okay, so Michigan State debuts uh, what is, you know, called a a new offense, a revamped offense, a tweaked offense, whatever you want to call it. You know, we were speculating on this the entire offseason. We didn't know what it was going to look like. Michigan State refused to talk about it in any single way, and it was this smoke and mirrors game where we just didn't. I uh, have much of an idea. We could, we had guesses. You know, we thought they'd use tempo. They did. Uh, we thought they'd do some stuff from the pistol. They did. Uh, but we had guesses, not a lot of concrete answers. And so we kind of went into Friday expecting to see something new, I think, in a lot of ways. Uh, something that was like, whoa, this is way different. And there just wasn't a ton of that, ton of obvious things like that. And I think that led to a lot of reactions of, Nothing's changed. This is all the same. Uh, it's still the same Michigan State offense. And I've it's not just fans. Uh, I've seen other people in the media do it as well. And like I said in the intro, there are aspects where I think they're right. There's some different play calls, uh, different things like lining up heavy and running into an eight-man box that are frustrating and you know kind of bleeding in from last season. And that stuff's been pretty well covered, but I want to talk about stuff that is actually different because I think it's more than you might realize. And so what I did is I charted all the plays from the game, excluding uh, Michigan State's kneel out drive or not kneel out drive, but essentially kneel out drive with Rocky Lombardi uh, to end the game. And I I charted those plays, uh, you know, by formation, play type, success, concept, etc. But the main thing I want to talk about here is formation and personnel. Uh, because I went back and looked at the 2017 and 2018 openers against Bowling Green and Utah State, and I charted those games just really quickly by uh, formation and personnel. And here's how that breaks down compared to what Michigan State did uh, on Friday night. So in 2017 against Bowling Green, uh, Michigan State ran 30 plays under center, Oh, excuse me, 40 plays under center, can't read, and 43 plays from the shotgun. They ran zero plays from the pistol formation. In terms of personnel, they ran 38 plays from 11 personnel or more spread. And what I mean by that, uh, if you don't know, 11 personnel means one running back, one tight end. If it was 12 personnel, that's one running back, two tight ends. 22, two running backs, two tight ends. So if you hear me uh, say that, and side note, if you ever hear me say something or talk about something uh, and you don't know what I'm talking about or, or, you know, like, well, what's that stat? What's that? Please email me lockedonspartans at gmail.com or tweet at me at will underscore underscore hunter, one L two underscores, ask me and I will uh, fill you in. I tweeted about uh, average depth of target earlier uh, yesterday and somebody asked me, what does that mean? And so I'm happy to explain anything that You might not understand. So anyway, Michigan State was in 11 personnel or more spread. So three wide receiver sets or four wide receiver sets or empty formation. So spread offense 38 times against Bowling Green. And they were in 12 personnel or heavier. So one running back, two tight ends, two receivers or less, essentially 45 times. 
So 38 spread formations, 45 sort of pro-style heavier formations, if you will. Uh, 2018 Utah State, they were under center 35 times. They were in the shotgun 43 times. They were in the pistol zero times. They were in spread formations, 11 personnel, three wide receivers or more, 37 times. And they were in 12 personnel or heavier, 41 times. So both pretty similar uh, in shotgun, a little bit more than under center, but about, you know, 45, 55 split, 40, 753 split between under center and shotgun. And then uh, between spread formations and heavier formations, they were in more heavy formations by a handful of plays a game. About even on both of those, uh, both of those types of formation. Again, zero pistol formation. In the opener against Tulsa, they were under center seven times. Remember, 35 times against Utah State. 40 times against Bowling Green, they were under center. They were under center seven times Friday night, and a couple of those came late in the game. I think they were under center once or twice in the first half. Um, They were in the shotgun 49 times. They were in the pistol 24 times. So the pistol is pretty much replaced under center, and then they've added even more shotgun so far. Just through one game, but that's what it is so far. More shotgun, a ton of pistol and almost completely eliminated under center. They were in spread formation. So 11 personnel or more spread 47 times. They were in 12 or heavier 33 times. And about six or seven of those 12 formations actually had Matt Dotson flexed out as either a trips receiver or, you know, five or six yards flexed out, still not in line, but not all the way out, uh, you know, towards the the sideline more, just a, a few yards off, but still flexed out as pretty much a receiver. So it's more like 52 to, to 28, something like that, 53 to 28 in terms of spread formations to heavy formations. That is drastic. They have completely flipped uh, how often they go heavy, how often they go spread. They have completely eliminated going under center. They've gotten rid of, they didn't run a single play with a fullback. They didn't run a single play with two running backs on the field. That is a drastic difference. That is like structurally huge. That creates so much space. And I'm going to talk about that uh, here coming up after this quick break. Guys, the NFL season returns this week on Thursday, and that means Crossover Wednesday is back. For the entire regular NFL season, you get a special episode every single Wednesday as the host of your favorite NFL team show. So like if you're a Lions fan, Locked on Lions, or if you're a Bears fan, Locked on Bears, Locked on Packers, we got them for all 32 NFL teams. They do crossover shows. So Lions are playing the Cardinals. That means Locked on Lions, Locked on Cardinals are going to do a show together this Wednesday, crossover Wednesday. Uh, They talk about matchups, key storylines, and get in-depth on how these two teams match up. So if you're an NFL fan, uh, you need to check out these Crossover Wednesday episodes. It is our NFL listeners' favorite segment of the week. Find your favorite team wherever you get podcasts. And today's show is brought to you in part by Vivid Seats. If you want to get to the game this week, I've been telling you about Vivid Seats. It is the place to go if you want tickets to a game, concert, theater, whatever, sporting event, uh, whatever else you get concerts, whatever else you get tickets to, uh, you can get tickets to 
uh, at Vivid Seat. So if you want to go watch Michigan State play Western at Spartan Stadium this week, check out Vivid Seats. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice, all in the easy-to-use Vivid Seats app. And to make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back. It's called Vivid Seats Rewards, and when you go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app, you'll automatically be enrolled in the Rewards Loyalty Program. So you buy a ticket, certain percentage of that goes back into your account as credit that you can use towards future tickets. It is a great Great program if you're someone who is going online and buying tickets to games or, you know, comedy shows, concerts, whatever. This is a great program for you. And of course, with Vivid Seats, every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee from the biggest concerts and events to the hottest theater tickets and more. Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and join the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program today. Enter promo code KICKOFF100 at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. That is promo code KICKOFF100 at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. All right, welcome back to segment two of today's Locked on Spartans. Let's talk about some play calling uh, and just Brad Salem's debut. I got a couple stats here that I think are interesting and revealing and show, uh, I guess, frustration and optimism at the same time. You'll you'll see what I mean. So I want to start with, um, and it kind of branches to what we were just talking about, running out of 11 personnel. So spread formations and running the ball out of spread formations, which is something that Michigan State almost never did in previous years. They did it very, very little. And they did it more uh, this game. And I think they could do it even more because uh, the early numbers indicate that, uh, as you would expect, there's better success there. Uh, you know, you remove guys from the box. It makes it easier to run. It's pretty straightforward stuff. So uh, MSU ran the ball out of 11 personnel eight times on Friday. And this is um, not including the last two drives. Um, I don't think they ran it out of 11 in the last two drives. Let me check. Oh, I should have done this before. No, they did not run out of 11 personnel in the last uh, two drives. So they ran out of 11 personnel eight times on Friday. And I'm including Elijah Collins' called back run in this because uh, I think it was a mediocre uh, holding call and it didn't really impact the run. The, the block was set up. Uh, the hold was called kind of in the wash of the play. It was, it was a weird situation. But including Eli Collins' touchdown run, they ran for 41 yards on eight carries out of 11 personnel, which is 5.125 yards per carry. Uh, if you remove Collins' run, you say, that's not fair. It's a holding call. We can't count that run. That's fine. They went for 3.8 yards per carry out of 11 personnel, which is not great, but it's okay. And for the game, Michigan State's three running backs averaged 2.26 yards per carry uh, total. So they went for 3.8 per carry out of 11 personnel and like a yard, a yard and a half out of all the other formations, probably a yard and a half out of uh, 12 or heavier formations. Um, they should run out of 11 personnel more. Uh, we distill that even more and just narrow it down to zone runs, right? We've got power run schemes. We've got zone run schemes. Uh, I talked a little bit about this yesterday, but zone runs are kind of the line moves together in a direction and the running back picks a hole. 
uh, power runs. They're running it to a specific spot. They block to that specific spot with a double team. And each guy kind of has an assignment and the running back is running to that specific spot. So that's the difference there. Uh, when they ran out of zone or ran zone runs out of 11 personnel, so spread formation, zone run, Michigan State went for 6.8 yards per carry on six carries, including Elijah Collins' run. And if you remove his run, they went for 4.8 yards per carry on zone runs from 11 personnel. That starts to sound like a pretty respectable average. And the point is, when Michigan State spread Tulsa out they were and ran zone, inside zone, outside zone, zone counter for both of those, and then zone read off of that, right? Everyone's favorite read option, zone read. It worked. They ran for 4.8 yards per carry on those plays and about seven yards per carry if you include Elijah Collins' called back touchdown runs. That, if I have this information, you can... I would hope, I would hope, and I would guarantee this, I I would bet a lot of money on this, Michigan State has those same numbers broken down like that. They know what they ran for on power, they know what they ran for on zone, they know what they ran for based on formation with all those things. They're going to look at that and I hope see that there is something there. They were an efficient running attack when they spread the uh, Tulsa out and they ran zone schemes. Some lines are built to run power. Some lines are built to run zone. And this line is built to run zone. And I think that's somewhere Brad Salem can improve on is calling more zone runs as opposed to power runs. The power runs were not effective. The the gap schemes they were, were running were not effective at all. All of their best run plays came out of zone, inside zone, outside zone, zone counter, and zone read. And they really didn't get into too much RPO action off of that. But you can get into RPOs built off that like I talked yesterday. There are a billion different ways to run zone schemes with different formations, different personnel, different players in different spots, different guys being the backs. You can use a receiver in a jet motion as a back. There's all sorts of things you can do. And I think we've just sort of scratched the surface with that. And the early results on these specific plays are pretty promising. And so I think if you can get 20 runs out of 11 personnel in zone and can get 100 and something yards out of that like that sounds pretty good if you stretch out that average you need to what 22 carries to get to 100 yards that's pretty uh solidly efficient numbers much better than their power numbers much better than the the entire running game as a whole and that so i think hopefully um brad salem sees that hopefully he decides that that's something they want to do more i think that would be in the plans anyway it sounds like seems like that's something that they would want to be in the plans more anyway. They they never were a zone scheme. That's another major difference. Michigan State rarely ran zone blocking like ever. They ran some at the end of last season in the Red Box Bowl a little bit, but it was brand new then. Um, you know, not quite half of their runs um, were were out of zone. I think like forty percent of their runs were were zone blocking. You know, make that seventy percent, make that eighty percent, make that ninety percent. I think you're in business with something there. The other thing I want to talk about with the play calling is the passing game. Uh, It was remarkably conservative, like staggeringly so. It was unbelievable just how conservative it was. So I tracked all the passing attempts that Lewerke threw. I included plays negated by penalty because it's important. The plays happen just because it didn't officially happen. It still happened. Um... And I calculated ADOT, which is average depth of target, which uh, is basically 
this number is how far the average pass traveled in the air before it got to a receiver. And so for the game, Brian Lewerke and the passing game's average depth of target was 5.95, which is really low. Like you want something 12, 10 to, 10 to 14. I'm comfortable in that range. Well into double, I'd like 12 to 14. I understand Michigan State's not going to spread the ball deep, push the ball deep a ton, uh, but they got to be at least 10 in a dot. His first half a dot was 3.875 on 24 passes. That is insanely low. That is shockingly low. Um, it, it cannot be that low. In the second half, a little better, 8.88. Started to push the ball downfield a little bit more. Um, the efficiency was similar, but their their longest pass play of the game came in the second half. They had a few nice intermediate completions as well in the second half. They didn't throw it as much because they're up. Um, but that's at least a promising sign that they started to push the ball down the field more. His first nine throws... Lewerke's first nine throws, the average depth of target was 1.89 yards. Imagine that. Imagine that over an entire game. He throws 40 times, and every single one goes two yards down the field. That is crazy conservative. Michigan State didn't throw a single go route the entire game. Um, Here are their three longest passes attempted. 25 yards, uh, 28 yards, and where is it? Where 28 yards. They had three pass attempts over 20 yards uh they completed one which was that corner route to daryl stewart that was a 28 yard uh average depth of target and he caught it for 30 yards the other two were the other corner routes uh that one missed larise nelson and one missed uh i think it was Jalen naylor um but yeah that's not good enough you can't run three corner routes and have everything else be Seven yards, five yards, minus three yards, minus four, minus five. My, Brian Lewerke threw five straight passes that didn't travel beyond the line of scrimmage. That's crazy. He threw one at the line of scrimmage, four yards behind, five yards behind, five yards behind, three yards behind. That needs to change. They have to push the ball down the field more. Uh, that's going to help release pressure on the box, help get defenders thinking behind them, help them not... Uh, or, or make them not be able to just lock in on the run game. Uh, they got to be able to push the ball down the field more. I think there's a couple reasons they didn't. First is uh, you're down two left tackles. It's hard to set up, uh, let a play develop 30, 40 yards downfield when you're not confident in the blocking scheme. Uh, I thought that the the pass blocking was okay. Lewerke had a few quarterback hurries and was sacked one time because of a bad snap. Um, that's part of it. I think there was just a general conservative game plan at being opening night. Um, them wanting to kind of run this base stuff, not really do a whole lot. It sort of fits in with the theme of everything else. Uh, so there's some conservative play calling there, and that's a spot where Brad Salem can certainly get better. And then they played against a team that runs a 3-3-5. Uh, 3-3-5 drops eight man in a zone. Michigan State saw that a ton. That means you've got three high safeties, really high safeties at the very back of the defense that are just there to let no one get behind them. So that defense tends to take away deep passes. Michigan State didn't try the middle of the field deep at all. Like the deepest they went over the middle field was like 13 yards. Every other long pass play was a corner out that they tried. And that is obviously attacking the pylon, attacking the sideline. Uh, They didn't throw any fades. They didn't throw any goes. They didn't throw anything down the field. And that's something that 
I don't know if they planned that going in or just kind of lost track of things. It didn't, it didn't do anything like that or nobody got open deep, but that's something that absolutely has to change. That is a spot where Brad Salem needs to get better because again, like these a dots, these average depth of depths of target are so low 5.95 for a game cannot happen. 3.875 over 24 passes in the first half cannot happen. You can't go five, six straight throws without throwing the ball beyond the line of scrimmage. You're just, you're making life even more difficult on your running game, even more difficult on your offensive linemen who were struggling at best at that point. And so that's something that's super easy to fix and is a spot that Brad Salem can get immediately better as a play caller. Uh, And I think it is, I, I have confidence that they'll see those numbers uh, they've got them too. Trust me. Again, anything that I've got that I have for my own charting, they have times 10. They have it way better. <laughs> like I'm not doing anything crazy or I'm just charting. They chart everything. They've got these numbers. They know that that needs to be way higher. Uh, and I think we'll definitely see that. I'm confident we will see that moving forward. All right, let's take a break right there. When we get back, uh, I want to talk about Jacob Panashuk and Antoine Simmons because they were really special. Um, Got some well-deserved recognition as well, and like it just it adds such a different, crazy dynamic for Michigan State. Before that break, I want to tell you about No House Advantage. No House Advantage is taking an exciting new spin on daily fantasy sports. Instead of salary cap drafting like the other sites, No House Advantage offers daily player prop contests. Yes, daily player prop contests. Pretty cool. The platform levels the playing field so you have a higher likelihood of winning than when playing on traditional fantasy sports contests. Each contestant contain or each contest contains anywhere from five to ten player props. Uh, for example, will Brian Lewerke throw more than two touchdowns this game? Could be a player prop. Will uh, Connor Hayward rush for more than 55 yards this game? Right, Player props, individual players, you to get what I'm talking about. And then all you do, you pick over or under for each prop, and then you rank them based on your confidence. So you get confidence points, one, you know, 10 points, uh, the most confidence, one point, the least confidence, that sort of thing. You earn points based on correct picks, and then you compete against other players for cash prizes. Simple. It is an extremely fun daily fantasy contest to play that you can actually win. No House Advantage offers contests across college football, NFL, MLB, NBA, college basketball, PGA, and NASCAR. They really run the gamut there with all the sports. Download No... They need to get NHL in there. I just realized that. They don't have NHL. We'll work on that. Download No House... We won't work on that. I have nothing to do with No House Advantage. (laughs) Hopefully they add NHL. We'll see. Download No House Advantage now from the App Store and use the code LOCKEDON to receive two free tokens when you purchase two tokens. It's a $10 value. That's code LOCKEDON to receive two free tokens when you purchase two. Certain state limitations may affect your ability to participate in paid contests. All right, welcome back to segment three of today's Lockdown Spartans. Let's finish her up strong. So, Jacob Panashuk, holy crap. Um, Antoine Simmons, what? Um, I was, so, I mean, coming into the season, I didn't have huge expectations for either of these guys. If you would have pulled me aside and said, hey, who are the, you know, rank the players on Michigan State's defense, one through 11, you know, we start with, we do Willikis, Raekwon, Bocce, um, Mike Panashuk, Josiah Scott, David Dowell, um, whatever. You just kind of go through the line there. And I'm probably, 
you know, it's saying Antoine Simmons and Jacob Panachute, ninth or 10th, 8th through 10th, somewhere in there, maybe even 11th. They're in the bottom four or so, like going into the season in terms of expectations. And I knew, you know, that's not an insult to them. It's just more of a statement of how good the rest of the defense is. And I knew they were good players. You know, Antoine Simmons, four-star recruit. Jacob Panachute might have been, I think he was three-star, like a high three-star, but still a good recruit, had shown some nice things last year, uh, shed some weight in the offseason, got more muscular, got more built like a defensive end. He kind of was a tackle-ish, tackle-end hybrid type, uh, but is now a defensive end and looks like a defensive end. I, you know, I thought they'd be good players, good contributing players, uh, but they were really special in week one. Uh, both of them were named to the pro football-focused all-defense team for week one, and I think it was both well-deserved. Kenny Willekes wasn't named to that team, and I know a lot of fans were um, up in arms about that. No, it's fair. You know, Kenny got National Defensive Player of the Year. That's pretty sweet. Um, and Big Ten, or National Player of the Week and Big Ten Player of the Week. But, the you know, Pro Football Focus does it with their individual grades, and it's just the highest graded players at each position. So, you know, that means Jacob had a higher grade for the game than Kenny Willekes, according to them. And again, it's just one one site, but still didn't have that. If like if you had that coming in, who's gonna have the higher pro football focus grade after game one, Jacob Panashuk or Kenny Wilkes? Nobody was picking Panashuk. And I don't think anyone was picking Antoine Simmons uh as well. And like they were both really good. And Antoine looks like he's gonna be just a special player. Like I saw a clip on Twitter from um oh I forget who it was now. I'm super sorry if it was you. Uh of him of Antoine Simmons blowing up a trap block from a tight end. And like just ruining a run play, like he crashed in, had his run fit, made the read, uh, went through the hole and destroyed the blocker so bad that he just flew back into the running back. It was amazing. He is athletic. He is powerful. He's instinctive. He made a great play to open the game, sliding into the flat, breaking down and walloping the ball carrier for like a four yard loss. His interception was great, showed great vision, great athleticism to drop back in coverage, good hands. To, to make the play. It was just all around awesome. He got after the quarterback a little bit, uh, was awesome in the run game. His run fits were great all night. He was really good on punt returns too. Uh, he is a special player. Andrew Dowell was really good. Andrew Dowell was underrated under whatever, like a glue guy. Um, I forget the freak. I can't think of the term, but sort of unsung hero. That's it. Andrew Dowell was an unsung hero. He was always kind of, you know, doing his job, doing it well. And he was a really good player. Antoine Simmons is a different level of player than Andrew Dowell. He's just, uh, he appears to be, I know it's one game starting. He did some nice things last year in limited time, uh, but he looks like a really special player potentially. And I'm just super excited. Didn't have that coming into this game. And I'm just pleasantly surprised at how exciting and physical and athletic and instinctive he is at uh, the, the star linebacker position. He's really good. And then Jacob, uh, lost weight, transformed his body a bit, came became a more explosive uh, pass rusher. His hands looked awesome. His sack was just great. Schooled the tackle, or I don't remember if it was a tackle or a back. Whoever was trying to block him, he absolutely schooled them. He sets the edge well, just like Kenny does. Like Michigan State, to have two defensive ends who defend the run that way is great. And now he's added athleticism and explosiveness to be a disruptive playmaker behind the line. If he ends up getting, like I thought he would get three or four sacks this season, eight tackles for a loss, seven, nine, somewhere in there. 
uh, he could very well end up getting six to eight sacks. He could push for eight sacks and have 12 or 14 tackles for a loss based on the improvements that I saw just in that one game. And again, it's just Tulsa. Uh, you don't want to take a ton from it, but he was really good. And if he is that good this entire season, like that was the thing, you know, you, you devote attention to Willikas, you devote attention to Raekwon, Mike Panashuk, you worry about those guys and you say, Hey, we've got this other guy who's, who's a solid player, but not these, the, the same level as these other guys. We can, you know, sort of live with him on an Island with a defense or with a tackle, live with him on a solo block. And it doesn't look like that's the case. And if that's not the case, good luck. Uh, Good luck to anyone trying to run on that front. Good luck to anyone trying to get time to pass on that front. They're going to be able to get pressure with four consistently um, and just be an absolute nightmare machine. And you consider, or you you, you combine Antoine Simmons with that, and you've Tyreek Thompson is a great run ball, uh, run defense linebacker. Michigan State has great reserve linebackers that can defend the pass and get after the passer as well. Brandon Boyer Randall, um, yeah, is a scary defense. And the emergence of those two on opening night, like they were already really good. And then you add in those two, it was like, okay, they've got a couple spots where they're just all right. They got a couple spots where maybe, you know, they need some time to get better. We'll see about replacing Dowell. We'll see if Panachute can take a step. Well, Panachute took a step. Simmons is replacing Dowell. Uh, Michigan State could very well be better than they were last year on defense. Uh, And that is really awesome. That is really special. That is top unit in the country type good. And that's um, really cool to see because, you know, it also buys some time for the offense to figure some things out, get used to the new system and get more efficient at running their stuff. And that's good for everybody. All right. That's going to do it for today's show. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, We will be back tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to reach out to Matt Hapner and Matt Sheehan, see if I can get one of the mats on to uh, join the show tomorrow. Maybe Stephen Brooks later in the week as well. And then uh, on Thursday, we will start diving into Western Michigan. I'm currently trying to get a Western Michigan beat reporter to join me for that show as well to help preview that game. And we'll talk about their first week game and things they do well and what they don't do well and all of that good stuff. So plenty of things to talk about here throughout the week, and we will do just that. Remember to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing is the easiest way to get these episodes to your phone every single day. Thanks so much for listening to Locked on Spartans. We will see you tomorrow.